0: Hello, welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies that we live in. your january going have you kept up with any of your new year resolutions i have which is to leave good reviews when they're warranted, instead of just saying oh that was good and not doing anything about it i think that we should commend people so i've started doing that i've also learned a new word pemaphobic have you heard of that word before pemaphobic. Well, if you stay tuned, you'll get to know its meaning, but I'm going to give you a hint. You should really stay away from too much of it, even though you probably love it, especially during lockdown. This week's metaphor is progress, not perfection. Think about that. Progress, not perfection. And many times we do things and when we do complete them, we want them to be the best that they can be, like borderline perfection. But really, perhaps we have to think of the way that we progress, and then whatever comes out from it, of course it's going to be something good if you keep on going positively down that track. Anyway, today I'll be speaking with a young achiever, Zach Fortag, and his perception of progress, not perfection. But first, let's go to our segment writers, Sabina Lal Chopra-Garcia and Sean McCallenden, and hear what they have uncovered. Progress, not perfection, is a motivational phrase that is a little tricky to pin down to a single origin. All across the internet, you'll find the phrase attributed to various life coaches, therapists, and even a preacher or two. With this in mind, we can easily understand that the main message behind Progress, Not Perfection is an attempt to encourage mental well-being, to focus and forgive ourselves when we feel we just aren't up to scratch. The phrase, not in this exact form, can be found in the manual for Alcoholics Anonymous. Did you know that? In its entirety, it reads, and I quote, We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. In other words, recovering from addiction is a testing process that needs to be taken one day at a time. Addicts in recovery are often confronted by their own character defects, personality traits, which may make it harder for them to keep strain. But every one of us has some form of character flaw. And part of recovery is realizing that we simply aren't perfect. And I think that the sooner many of us admit to it, the happier we are going to feel and also the people around us. Here's a clip of the late Robin Williams discussing some of his own experiences with addiction.
1: You're not easy on yourself in the show, are you? No. You know, as an alcoholic, I talk about, you know, some warning signs, you know, like DUIs in a cul-de-sac, things like that. The idea of you know have you been through it to talk about it and see like you know this is what you go through heart surgery you know alcoholism I went to rehab in wine country just to keep my options open and the idea of you know these are things you got to talk about well you had you got your own vineyard ah yes that's like Gandhi owning a delicatessen (laughs) yeah what are you doing this is not for my consumption so you were dry for twenty years yes why did you fall off? Uh, I was in a little town in Alaska. It wasn't the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And it was like all of a sudden I thought, I could drink. It's also that same thought you have if you look off a large building and go, I can fly. Mm. (laughs) And within a week it was like, gone, you know. And now, you know, I realize I can't. So that was the gift, you know.
0: Founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman once said that if you are not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you have launched too late. The idea of progress, not perfection is not a new concept in IT. It has been commonly used within software development. In the early 2000s, a group of Silicon Valley visionaries came together and created the Agile Manifesto. This document aimed to reframe the way that they created products and released them into the market. Essentially, the idea of Agile working is that upon launching a project, like a new social media site or a video game, the launch software is never expected to be the final outcome. Through this, developers are able to cultivate a fan base, which in itself is incredibly useful. Not only does their invention remain constantly fresh in their clients' eyes, but the engineers are further able to learn and improve upon the software based on user feedback. They may learn different applications for their product or find out about missing functions that they hadn't initially considered.
2: Building a product successfully doesn't mean building a successful product. Building a product successfully doesn't create value for the customer, but building a successful product does. Therefore, it is logical to aim at building a successful product instead of aiming to build a product successfully. But before the arrival of Agile Manifesto, this was not the case in the software industry. Software development was being done by following a rigid process A lot of importance was given to documentation. Developers cared only about following the contracts instead of caring about delivering a useful product. As the complexities of the products kept increasing, so did the delivery time. What was being delivered was not meeting customer expectations and products were failing at a rapid rate. Then in 2001, 17 software developers came together to discuss possible lightweight methods for software development. They came up with a manifesto which had four values and 12 principles to make the software development process more agile. This manifesto is known as the Agile manifesto.
0: With the Agile method, we can see that excellence does not equate perfection. Perfectionism implies that nothing more can be learned or changed, that one cannot grow and evolve anymore. It's static and this kind of inflexibility can also be accompanied by a fear of failure. I'm sure we can all relate to the fact that our biggest critic is usually ourselves. And one famous perfectionist was the impressionist painter, you know, Claude Monet. During his lifetime, he destroyed around 250 canvases of completed work as he felt that they weren't simply good enough. And in 1908, just before the opening of an exhibition displaying a series of his famous water lilies, Monet took one final look at the room and armed with a knife and a paintbrush, he destroyed between 15 to 30 artworks stating that his life had been nothing but failure. Can you imagine that? these pieces had already been appraised worth thousands, not even thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yet to Monet's standards, they simply weren't good enough. His fears were that the people would think that the paintings would be overly scrutinized or simply not understood. But you can ask yourself, who really had the higher standards here? <laughs> Do you recognize yourself there? Perfection doesn't always provide us with the healthiest mindset. It's no secret that Monet suffered from depression and these outbursts are definitely linked to his diagnosis. Striving for the optimum can hinder us from completing a project or in Monet's case, destroy it altogether. This is why progress, not perfection, can be a good reminder to many and why we picked it for this week's episode. It's always interesting listening to how our metaphors have impacted our guests. Zach Fortag is a 19-year-old entrepreneur from Essex. When he was just 15, he started Ahead of Time, a motivational clothing brand to help young people in fashion and business. And now he's with us at Metaphorically Speaking to tell us how progress, not perfection, made a mark in his career. Well Zach thank you so much for joining me on Metaphorically Speaking. Uh, we're really looking forward to hearing about our uh, metaphor and how you use it in your life but first of all can you tell us about the Ahead of Time Academy?
3: So it's a new charity based in London where well, we do cover the whole of the UK and do have partners across the whole UK but we are an online platform which helps young people with opportunities in education. We do um, things like courses, we do uh, webinars we do blogs we do groups we also do events such as employment days and um, entrepreneurial network events open mic nights as well as helping young people connect and network with each other as well.
0: And how did it all begin?
3: I really started to sort of get involved in business when I was around 13 14 when I started you know selling thief points sweets school like a lot of people do but I started my first proper business when I was 15 um, I really enjoy sort of the school curriculum and how I really fitted in there so I thought just start a business I always liked business so I gave it a go and it didn't go too bad.
0: But when you say you started a business how did you start who did you talk to who helped you?
3: Yeah it was it was it was, it was mainly through you know reading sort of business books and having sort of a motivation to go and do something on my own. I really, I really didn't like school, so there was sort of an alternative really for me to start a company. Um, my first business was a professional clothing brand because I wanted to help other young people who struggled in school get involved in business and fashion. I also started a clothing brand alongside it, which we sold into over 15 countries and three continents. We worked with companies like ASOS stores in America. Um, So it really just became from, you know, struggling at school and wanting to help other young people and and clothing was a way to, you know, connect with young people.
0: Mm. You know, what I'm trying to get to is a lot of the times people say, well, we started a business, especially when someone is young. You think, okay, then they've started a business. But for someone else who is, you know, in their teens, you know, they're young and they can see uh, an area where they can perhaps help or make money. They have to know where to start so even if you read a book can you remember how after reading the book what your first thing was in terms of taking your learning from the book and actually make it into reality
3: yeah absolutely I think all businesses are different so for example if you wanted to do a clothing brand you would want to start writing a business plan out what type of clothes do you want what are the competitors in the certain clothing so at the point where you, where you know you want to start a business and at the point where you've got your business idea, it's, it's, it's finding that, that idea. Um, so, you know, you have to find the right idea and you have to make sure the business is right before you want to start it.
0: So when then did you decide that you were going to, um, of course, you, you built along the way. So when did you decide I had to do an academy? This was the way to get me out there, get my brand out there and help at the same time.
3: Yeah, I would say it was December 2019. I just finished uh, the end of my events company and I wanted to create a space where young people could meet up and connect with each other, which I didn't feel there was a lot out there. Business events, because if you go to a business event in London, UK, or anywhere, I've been to ones in America, the youngest person you'll find there is generally 25, 30. So when I was going there, I was never being able to find people my age. So initially we were going to be a platform to help people connect with each other in real life but when Covid happened we had to change it so then we decided to move all the events online we had um, networking events online but I wanted to create it because there wasn't really much out there for young people to really connect with each other because there's there are quite a lot of young entrepreneurs but a lot of them don't have other people who are young entrepreneurs to connect with and actually speak to.
0: So what kind of events do you hold online?
3: So we do all different types of webinars um, from people like AFTV to Olympians to people that were people that won the Apprentice. And um, those are the webinars, but we also do networking events. So young entrepreneurs can speak to each other, can network with each other. We also do employment events, so young people who are looking for jobs. We have helped over 50 young people in just one event get um get an interview, get a second interview process. We've also done open mic nights to open mic nights and quizzes to raise funds from the charity. And um, yeah, that's the type of events events we've we've done.
0: So how, when you say we, do you have a a team of people who assist you?
3: Yeah, we have, as a charity, we have a lot of volunteers and interns and um, a lot of other young people who are ambassadors of our charity. So we have a marketing team, a social media team, person who deals with our events, person who deals with our admin. So we have a lot of people who have helped us because we started this in lockdown. We launched in May, so I think in the first UK lockdown, so it was a lot of young people who wanted to get experience, get someone their CV, um, help other young people who were struggling in this lockdown. So yeah, we, we do have, a, we do have a, good, a good team.
0: So Zach, has there ever been a time where you felt very challenged or frustrated and felt that perhaps you can't do this?
3: Yeah, of course. And I think with every entrepreneur, you go through a lot of ups and downs, especially when you start so young. I've gone through a lot of challenges in the in the last five years, but you know what keeps me going is having a lot of sort of self discipline and motivation. Um, when I do have failures, it's generally you know you're, you're learning from that, so it's it should really be a positive. But um, yeah, I've wanted to stop a lot of times and go maybe f- through an easier path, but I've never done it and I, I never will.
0: Can you remember a particular time or an event or something that happened that kind of pushed you to the limits and you thought I've got to do this and you eventually did or didn't do it
3: well, yeah I would say when I had my first office I was about 16 17 and it was a, it was a new events company I was running and the financial the financial element weren't going very well and um, we were close to basically just sort of bankrupt and stopping the business but eventually you know we, we we got ourselves together we worked on the business and and we managed to overcome it so that was probably one of the, one of the toughest I would say
0: now starting a business uh, yes of course you need uh, people to help and support you. Cool. What about the finances? How were you able to start working and using finances? I think,
3: you know, just, just, just building up um, money, you know, saving money. Uh, my first sort of business was, you know, selling fee points at school, which I'd done well in uh, sweets, And then I also started... Buying wholesale goods and selling them at boot sales, selling them door to door. For example, I bought about five hundred pound worth of things like toilet roll, batteries, and I would sell them boot sales, go door to door. And you know, you could easily free three or four times your money doing that. And then you would just, you would just, you would just build, build up your money as, as you really go along.
0: But someone listening to you might think, well, it was okay for you because you obviously have the talent or the knack. You can just do it. It seems like it's uh, easy for you. Do you think that anyone? who wants to do something uh, positive can get through it that way
3: yeah i don't think I, have, I don't think i have a talent at all i just you know i just work hard um, i've most i've done a lot of sort of mentoring with young people not even young people i've mentored people that are 50 60 70 and i've helped them start businesses so If you've got the right frame of mind and you're willing to work, you can do it.
0: If Head of Time Academy was around when you were younger, do you think that you might have taken a different role in, in life?
3: I would say probably no, because I think I would still be running companies, but I would be able to, I would probably maybe be at a better stage because I'd have more people to connect with and more people to learn and contact and reach out to. There's not really a lot of places where you can contact other young entrepreneurs and contact. Different people in different industries, and speak to so many people um, so quickly.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But you know, when you are facing tough times, what do you say to yourself? How do you motivate yourself?
3: Yeah, I just I, I just keep going. I always think there's a you know there's a problem, there's a solution to a problem. And generally, only about five percent in people in life achieve really what they, what their goals are, and ninety five percent of people gave up too early and or didn't work hard enough on that. So that's why I always say to myself, you know, if I give up, then then, then what,
0: then where will I be? Did you, did you actually plan what you wanted to do in terms of, yes, you said earlier, you had a business plan to start your businesses and so on.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: have you planned where you want to be in the next five years? And can you tell us what that is?
3: Um, it's hard to say because, you know, when I was 15, I probably had different ideas when I was 19 now. So I would say, you know, just to keep on running businesses, keep on doing a lot of work within the youth and political side of things, and just to have a, just to have a few a few good companies.
0: Okay. And what's the ultimate for you? What's the ultimate that you say? That's it. Um, I think I, I've I've got where I wanted to be.
3: Uh, that's a big. Goal. I would say to uh, to be running a, a lot a lot of large companies um, to be to help change the school curriculum in the UK. And to be quite high up in the political side of things in in the UK as well.
0: Ah, that's interesting. The political side of things. Tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, I'm interested I'm in politics. I like you know, the, learning about it, the economy, watching it. So I'm I am interested in. It. It's something that you know I, I have been involved in and do want to get more, sort of more involved in.
0: All right. So our metaphor this week is progress, not perfection. I can tell by the things you've said already how it can relate. But can you tell us how that would relate to you, progress, not perfection?
3: Yeah, I would say for me that, you know, you can't perfect everything. But um, progress for me is basically working hard and a result of working hard is progress. So that's that's sort of how it relates to me. Basically, just my sort of my key ethos is always, you know, working hard, giving it extra, not giving up. So that's how it sort of really relates to me.
0: Where do you think that came from? Is that how you, you were brought up?
3: Yeah, I would, I would say an element of brought up and just self-discipline.
0: And how did your family support you?
3: Um, well, yeah, they, they helped me, motivated me, um, got, got me really, my dad's really interested in business, he does a lot of business himself. But um, yeah, that, that's really sort of how, how they've supported me.
0: Now for those who, people who have just perhaps joined us, and they think, oh this sounds really interesting, how can you advise them to get in touch with you or to perhaps use some of the benefits that you're offering?
3: Yeah, you can contact me on all social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Zach Fultag, just Z-A-C-K, then F-O-R-T-A-G. And um, you can search AheadOfTimeAcademy.com on, on Google or AheadOfTimeAcademy on any social media platform. And you can reach out to me or the, the organization.
0: And can people suggest the type of things that they would like to know more about?
3: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we, we do have many groups. We have blogs, we have a forum. Um, we have Instagram as well, social media. We always take, uh, when people email us and contact us, we always use that information and add it to our charity as well.
0: Okay, and what would you say you have learned the most? Because you said the charity has just started. You know, when you start businesses, things don't always go as planned. Was there anything that you did not see coming, but you've learned from it?
3: Yeah, I think the toughest thing was starting an events company, then a pandemic happening. Um, so that, that 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 was the toughest. But with a charity, it's yeah, it's it's hard. It's interesting. Um, getting funding is very hard, especially during COVID. But I feel like you know we've had a, we've helped around two thousand young people. A lot of people are open to working with us as we are now a charity. Um, and it's just it's just a overall more sort of enjoyable experience. Sometimes it's a different experience to running a company because running a company it's all about profit, business. A charity is more about sort of how many people you can impact.
0: Now you know with the COVID nineteen, we've heard a lot about uh, mental health and mental oh. well being, and of course depression and anxiety is really elevating. Have you noticed that in any of the questions? that your, your your young people have you know asked you or sent any messages. Is there any evidence that the pandemic is affecting the way that people think about themselves, about their careers and about life? Yeah, this, life? Is,
3: yeah this is definitely strange because I was speaking to my admin person earlier and he was telling me how the mental health courses on our site have gone up a lot in the last, in the last one to two months, especially as it's got worse um, in England here. So that's also a big sign, but also um, the fact that we do a lot. Of, we do a lot of webinars, and the mental health webinars are always more subscribed, more attended than just a general webinar. I um, in another category. So I think that that is a big example. But also a lot of uh, in our groups as well, and on social media, a lot of young people are sharing about mental health, and I think a lot of young people are struggling. A lot of people. I've uh, this year. This year in January, we're hiring about four to five more interns. And I've spoke to about 20 already since yesterday morning and about 60%, I would say, have lost their jobs through the pandemic.
0: Oh, that's sad. And what do you say to people like that when you try to motivate them?
3: Well, the people i speaking to, you know, hopefully we, we would help them get a job for our site or we would sign them onto our site where they could watch our videos and where they could connect with employers. So we do help young people find employment as well.
0: You do quite a lot. Well, I, I, yep. admire, I admire how, and it, to me, um, of course, a lot of people will, will talk about your age, but mm-hmm. I think that you're the type of person that regardless of your age, if you decide you want to do something, you're going to do it. And you, know, you seem to be the type of person who cares about others and you know doesn't mind sharing what you've learned. And I think that within our community, and I may get crucified to saying this, within our community, we don't share willingly, we don't open up. And if we did, I think that we would be a tighter community and a more positive, more more happy one. So thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts, sharing your ideas and supporting others because uh, young people, I think they learn better from a young person that they admire um, as opposed to someone who's much older. For some reason, they seem to think that someone who's much older doesn't know what they're talking about. I, I don't agree with that, but I think that um, they need, to, like you say, you know, a, a mentor or role model that they can express how they really feel. So you and your team are doing a fantastic job doing that, and uh, of course, you always have my support. And if there's anything you told that you know we can do uh, to assist uh, what you're trying to do, you can. You all only have to just say the word. So, Zach, thank you so much.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like um, our listeners to know?
3: No, I would just say, you know, check, you can contact me on social media. You can check our charity and, yeah, just keep motivated during the lockdown, wherever you are. And, yeah, I'm sure it will be over, hopefully not too soon, not too long.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much, Zach.
3: Okay.
4: thanks.
0: Have you ever baked a cake, but it had a soggy bottom, a sunken middle, collapsed sides, or was just burnt beyond recognition? (laughs) I have. (laughs) But did that happen the next time you baked? Maybe. The third time? Not so much. And the fourth? Well, what I'm saying is, you get better over time. This week's metaphor is progress, not perfection. Even if you're homophobic, which means that you're scared of cake, I'm sure you've noticed progress in your life. Playing an instrument, working out, learning a foreign language, but have you ever achieved perfection? You might boast that you have, but let's be honest, you haven't. No one has. That's because perfect does not exist. Don't believe me? How about a more credible source? The late, great Stephen Hawking said, One of the basic rules of the universe is that nothing is perfect. Perfection simply doesn't exist. Without imperfection, neither you nor I would exist. So next time you try something new or even something you've been practicing for years, don't be so hard on yourself when it's not perfect. Just focus on your progress. Striving for perfection will only result in disappointment. This is Stephen Hawking's last inspiring message to humanity.
5: It became clear something was not quite right with me. I fell over and had great difficulty getting up again. My mother realized something was wrong and took me to the doctor. I spent weeks in Bart's hospital and had many tests. They never actually told me what was wrong, but I guessed enough to know it was pretty bad. In fact, the doctor who diagnosed me washed his hands of me and I never saw him again. He felt that there was nothing that could be done. At first I became depressed. I seemed to be getting worse pretty rapidly. There didn't seem any point working on my PhD, because I didn't know if I would live long enough to finish it. I had come to Cambridge to do cosmology, and cosmology I was determined to do. Then the condition developed more slowly, and I began to make progress in my work. After my expectations had been reduced to zero, every new day became a bonus, and I began to appreciate everything I did have.
0: For decades in mainstream media, a spotlight has been shone on the supposedly perfect look. Although this ideal has developed over time, it has always comprised of tall, slim models with perfectly straight, shiny white teeth and clear, light-colored skin.
6: Today, if you search the word beauty... You'll end up with a sea of fair-skinned, thin, young women, as if good looks don't come in any other form. And so, when we have those ideas in the back of our mind, we really start to think that we're ugly. We look at the beautiful people and we think, man, they have it all. They're rich, they're in love, they're happy, they're successful. And I could have that too. If I just had, if I just changed, We start to think that we're not enough of something, that we're lacking in some areas. That causes us to stifle opportunities for ourselves because we feel as though we don't belong and we don't deserve. And even worse, we extend that that low confidence and that lack of confidence and that low self-esteem, we extend that onto our sisters, our friends, our cousins. Because if I'm not enough, she's definitely not enough, right?
0: Only recently has society begun to accept flaws, imperfections, things we all have because we are all human. We now see models with vertigo, psoriasis or birthmarks. People with missing limbs, body hair and Down syndrome are celebrated and not ignored. We are gradually accepting that all humans look different and we are all beautiful because of our differences. Yes, there will still be a handful of small-minded individuals who hold on to their out-of-date ideologies, but our acceptance of our own fallibility is progress, progress towards a more inclusive society. People often describe themselves as being perfectionists. It's a great answer for when asked, what is your biggest weakness in a job interview? Whilst there's nothing wrong with having high expectations and pushing yourself to reach your full potential, expecting perfection will always result in dissatisfaction and a focus on the imperfections. Once there was a builder who was a very practical person and a painter who was aiming to be a perfectionist, or he was a perfectionist. Both were hired to build a new bridge across a river. The builder used available materials and a basic but sturdy design. The bridge was constructed ahead of schedule. However, the bridge was not yet open to the public because the painter had only just chosen the perfect shades of plum and cyan with which to paint the bridge. When the painter eventually began painting, they obsessed over every detail. Each screw and rivet had to be coated in an even layer of paint, then covered by an intricate pattern. No one could use the structurally sound bridge because the painter closed it off out of fear the paint would be scuffed under the foot traffic. Many years passed and the painter still worked tirelessly to create something perfect, sometimes redoing the same section several times until eventually the painter died from stress-related heart problems, leaving the bridge forever unfinished. But the builder went on to create many more structures, leading a successful and fulfilled life. But what if, instead of obsessing and tirelessly working to achieve perfection, you just give up because you can't meet your own expectations, even though you have already made some progress? Then you are fulfilling the Nirvana fallacy. In a nutshell, the Nirvana fallacy is comparing a realistic solution with an idealized one and then quitting because reality will never meet your expectations. Instead, start with a small task, something simple so you can feel a sense of accomplishment and be inspired to complete more tasks throughout the day. To explain further, here is Admiral McRaven giving an inspirational speech.
4: Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day it will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another and by the end of the day that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter if you can't do the little things right you'll never be able to do the big things right and if by chance you have a miserable day You will come home to a bed that is made, that you made and a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. It really
0: is that simple. Complete something you can do, like making your bed, and use that achievement to propel yourself forward. We should still hold an ideology of perfection, have a clear goal we hope to one day reach. As a final soundbite, here's Matthew McConaughey giving his acceptance speech at the Academy Awards.
1: Now, When I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, who's your hero? And I said, I don't know, i got to think about that. Give me a couple of weeks. I come back two weeks later, this person comes up and says, who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? I said, it's me in 10 years. So I turned 25, 10 years later. That same person comes to me and goes, so are you a hero? And I was like, not even close. No, no, no. She said, why? I said, because... My hero is me at 35. So you see, every day, every week, every month, and every year of my life, my hero is always 10 years away. I'm never gonna be my hero. I'm not gonna attain that. I know I'm not, and that's just fine with me because that keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. So to any of us, whatever those things are, whatever it is we look up to, whatever it is we look forward to, and whoever it is we're chasing, to that I say, amen. To that I say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Uh,
0: The next time you're stuck and determined, think of this week's metaphor, progress, not perfection. It will help you stop a while and think constructively. It's also a great subject to talk about on the social media. Maybe you can join us on our Facebook page at Metaphorically Speaking Delia. Thank you to Zach Fortag for sharing his positivity today and best of luck. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, we welcome your choice of metaphor. Send it here to the Metaphorically Speaking podcast. Also, send a comment. We always appreciate what you have to say so that we can make the program better for you. And of course, subscribe. Until next week, I'm Delia Delore. Please keep safe.
1: Thank you to our guest and thank you for listening to Metaphorically Speaking with Dealey DeLore. The programme was created by Dealey DeLore Productions with the original distribution by Colourful Radio. This episode was hosted by Dealey DeLore and segments written by Leora Mansell and Sabina Lau-Copra and script written by Leora Mansell with script supervisor on a web. The show was produced by Dealey DeLore and Sam Coward and edited by Reese Bridge. Social media and branding was conducted by Andre Kozov
5: and Odua Axvener.